today I'm going to be reading uh, verse 11, uh, verse 11, 1 through 6. Cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will find it again. Give portions to seven, yes to eight, for you do not know what disasters may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain upon the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in place of where it falls, it, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the word of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning at and at evening let your hands not be idle. For you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. The second reading is Second Corinthians verses 9, 6-7. There is no need, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he decides to, in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a chill forgiver. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? God, whose giving knows no ending, we ask again that we might humbly receive from you, that we might receive sustenance through your word this morning, that you might give your words spoken to each of us and to all of us as a community, that these words might come alive in our lives by your spirit that we might know your speaking and your presence and your will. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the last number of weeks, we've spent time thinking about the practices of Jesus, which are hallmarks of resurrection life. Because we've identified that resurrection isn't just something that God's going to do when we die. Actually, resurrection is something that we participate in now as we are the body of the resurrected Christ on earth today. So we've taken time, we've taken time to consider how important it is that we set aside our old life, that we say no and renounce all things that are death so we have more room for this full life itself. We have seen how the scriptures come alive in resurrection lives lived out identified together the importance of listening for God's voice in times of stillness and silence and rest. And we've also challenged ourselves to fast, to feel that soul hunger for our God that it might be recognized and tended to. Then we noted how resurrection inspires joy. It inspires joy even in the most difficult circumstances, joy even in the waiting for everything else in this world to come to its fullness. 
So this week we're going to be concluding this series on the practices of Jesus as we consider two practices of stewardship and simplicity. And money is going to be a part of this. I'll just say that right off the top. And I know that some of us get our backs up as soon as the church talks about money because we all know there are three things we shouldn't talk about in polite company, religion, politics, and money. And we break the first one like every week. And so (laughs) mixing two of them together feels like a recipe for disaster. But we'll press on together, and given this weekend, I suspect we might actually hit all three of these things in this sermon, but I hope you can find that your guard drops a little to hear God's invitation into more goodness through these practices. Stewardship is really simple. Stewardship is simply the idea that we, you and me, us together, we're stewards We manage and we care for a resource that is not our own. This is rooted in the very beginning of the scriptural story. When God creates everything, he entrusts responsibility for its care to humanity. Note, God doesn't sign over the deed. God doesn't say, you own this now, do whatever you want with it. He entrusts the care of earth, sea, sky, fish and birds and everything that crawls upon the earth to us. Of course, I think we all know that the story of human history from that point on is really the story more or less of us being quite poor stewards. We've been poor stewards of wealth as the rich want for nothing and the poor suffer need for even the most basic things. We've been poor stewards of the environment as we've hunted animals to extinction for frivolous things. We've thoughtlessly polluted earth, sky, and sea to the detriment of everything which depends on them. And we've been poor stewards of our relationship with each other, preferring to have clear lines between us and them over any effort to seek reconciliation or to share more wholly in this work that was entrusted to all humanity to care for God's creation for the sake of the world and for the sake of God's glory. Nevertheless, it seems that despite our very sordid history to this end, it hasn't discouraged God from desiring that we should be better stewards, that we should, in fact, be good stewards. Jesus commissions his disciples and he founds his church. And as he does this, he gives them authority. He says, I give you authority to bind things on earth, and whatever you bind on earth, I will bind in heaven as well. Jesus entrusts his church again to be stewards for the creation itself. It seems clear to me that resurrection life is not just about giving us eternal life. It's about restoring our full humanity. And restoring our full humanity means that we become partners with God again in caring for this world, this whole world. Restoring our full humanity means empowering us again to be faithful stewards of every gift that God has given to us. And so we come to our first scripture reading. It's good stewardship that the teacher in Ecclesiastes is pointing us toward. And I don't know if you were following along and what translation you might have been using, but there's some controversy in these verses. Some people read in these verses good business advice, just diversify your investment portfolio, right? Good wisdom for the world. 
But it's not talking about that. Consider this translation, send out your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will get it back. Divide your means seven ways or even eight, for you do not know what disaster will fall upon the earth. That still might leave room for controversy, so hear how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message translation. Be generous. Invest in acts of mercy. Charity yields high returns. Don't hoard your goods. Spread them around. Be a blessing to others. This could be your last night. And you might be asking, what? How did we get from like where we were to this? I'm not sure I follow this line of thinking, Nick. Are you doing good exegesis for us here? And so I'll give you some background. There's an ancient Egyptian proverb which said, do a good deed and throw it on the water. When it dries out, you will find it again. There are other Arabic proverbs from the same region that suggest much the same. Throwing bread on water is a good deed. It doesn't make sense to us in our context. We don't understand these idioms, but they carry a clear meaning. This idea that good deeds are connected to throwing things on water is present in the ancient Near East. This is what the teacher is referring to in in Ecclesiastes. This wasn't business advice, though I suspect we're more comfortable if it is. This is, in fact, a call to charity, charity before anything else. You see, if we are really stewards of God's gifts, we're responsible for seeing that they accomplish what God desires that they accomplish. And we're responsible for doing that in the way that God desires it to be done. We have a very easy parallel here because at Knox Church, we have trustees. And the trustees, they hold money for our church and they hold land for our church. And they're responsible for making sure that money and that land can do the things that it was given to our church to be able to do. They can't do anything else with it. That's all they can do. And then with that, they're also responsible for seeing that it's done in the ways that together we discern it should be done, like socially responsible investing or like giving more of our money to indigenous ministries. This idea isn't really foreign to us. And so as good stewards, we should recognize that we are to achieve God's purposes with God's things and to do all of that in the way that God instructs us to. What Ecclesiastes says here is that to be a good steward of God's things is to give generously, to be as foolish perhaps as throwing bread on water, of giving to seven people, even eight people, which really means a whole lot more than eight people, to give cheerfully, realizing that these things that we have aren't just to do us good, because they're not going to be any good to us when we die. And we realize that we can't possibly hoard up enough resources for ourselves to secure and insulate ourselves against any storm which may come. It's just not doable. But we do have these gifts and God's resources entrusted to us so that we might alleviate the disasters which have already befallen our brothers and sisters, which have already come in the lives of others. We can commit to trusting God for our provision, even as we partner with God to see and meet the needs of those around us. 
but maybe that's not clear to us yet. Maybe we're not so sure how we should break down our finances. How does this work out practically? Like, Knox has the Jesse Ketchum trust deed, and it tells us what we can do. So does God have something like that? And I suspect if God did have a trust deed for these resources he's given to us, it's probably in the Sermon on the Mount. It's probably in when Jesus talks at length about what God's doing in his people and in the world. And so I invite you in this time just to hear these things that Jesus says in that sermon. Jesus says, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. He says, you can't serve both God and money. He says, give to the needy without fanfare, pomp, or circumstance. And when you do that, don't worry about what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll wear. He says, do to others what you would have them do to you. Then finally, he says, Whatever pra- whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Church, I'm not sure you need a sermon on this. I think you know what God requires of you. I think we have clear direction. But I'm sure that you've heard or you've read your fair share of Christian teaching trying to explain how Jesus didn't really mean the things that it says he said here. But what I need to say to you today is that surely he meant more of that, that there's more truth in it, more literalism in it than our capitalist, individualist lives and world will allow us to be comfortable with. However true these things of Jesus are, they are more true and more real than should make us comfortable. You can find that line for yourself, I'm sure. Because you don't own anything. You are only a steward of the things that you have. You are a steward entrusted to care for whatever gift of time or talent or wealth you may have for the sake of others. And this is about money, but it's not just about money. So let me give you some examples. This is Canada Day weekend, and many of us here are citizens in this country. We've been afforded the opportunity to vote, to have a say in how things go. We've been given a gift to steward by God. And so as good stewards, as we consider voting this year even, we shouldn't be voting only for the person whose interests most align with ours, who will help us the most. That's poor stewardship of a gift you've been given. You should be concerned for those who can't vote, for refugees and permanent residents, for people around the world who are unjustly killed by weapons our government sells to them. By whole nation, you should be concerned for whole nations that are flooding in part because of how we develop our natural resources. 
But maybe you're not a citizen here. Maybe you can't vote or you already do that. Maybe you have access to a car. How are you stewarding that gift for others who sometimes really need a ride somewhere and they just don't? The TTC doesn't go there. They don't have money for that. They need a car for their groceries even. Are you thinking about that as a gift that you've been given to steward? Or maybe you're just really good at math, right? It's just something you understand, you see. Is there a student in your neighborhood, in your building, in our church, who you could be helping with that gift? And in each of these examples, I can hear the responses of, but what about? What about other countries who are so much worse than our country is? What about other people who are so much richer than I am and frankly do less than I already do? What about the broken systems that I am just a part of and I have no power to control or to change? And I just have to tell you it's not about those people, those places, those things. It's about you and us, your gifts and our gifts, the ways we can steward these things together. We shouldn't be looking for excuses to get out of it. So that's stewardship. And there's a parallel practice that goes along with stewardship, which is simplicity. Simplicity of living is how we're actually able to be effective and good stewards of our resources. This should make some amount of intuitive sense to us, right? We see politicians as stewards of the public purse. And so when we hear about taxpayers being charged for a $16 orange juice, well, we just get upset, right? The whole country's irate for months about a $16 orange juice. And this isn't because we think $16 means now we can't afford health care in a $330 billion budget. What troubles us about this isn't $16. What troubles us is the notion that there's poor stewardship of other resources as well. Politicians are wise then to live simply as stewards of our common resources. Similarly, we see people in transitions in their lives. Perhaps a couple going from two working people with jobs and an income and no other responsibility, choosing to have children and they transition into a life of greater simplicity, not only because of the extra expense of a child, but because they no longer live only for themselves. They realize how their resources are now not only for the present, but for their child's future as well. And good parents desire, if at all possible, to save for their child's education, for their general well-being, perhaps even to leave an inheritance. A simple life enables us to be good stewards. And in mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis puts it like this. I think there's a slide. He writes, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. 
There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. As we act as stewards individually and collectively, the things that we do with the resources we're given reveal what we believe of the resources themselves. And if we really believe that these things are God's, there should be, certainly be things that we would enjoy doing with them, but we simply can't do because we realize that God has called us to a greater thing, even if we don't understand how that thing will work out. If as a church we have every dollar imaginable for running amazing internal ministry events, and we don't use enough money to actually love our city and to really serve the world, then we've collectively missed the purpose of what God has entrusted us with. If individually our lives look so very similar in structure and in assets as our non-Christian peers, so much so as to be indistinguishable, well then we have chosen to prioritize getting our good out of what God has given before we show care and concern to our neighbors. We've become poor stewards. It's long been the belief of the church that the good we ought to do, but do not do, is robbed of those who needed it. That we steal from the naked when we refuse to clothe them. That we starve the hungry when we do not share our food with them that we encourage the poverty on our city streets by hoarding up wealth for ourselves. We choose the master of money, of worry about what tomorrow will bring or what clouds may yet come. We choose that master over the master of a God who tells us to go and do his work while we may, to trust him to care for our needs to go and to sow fields of generosity so that there might also be a harvest of generosity in our world. To do all this work joyfully because we take pleasure in being good stewards of God's gifts, of seeing all that we have influence over used for the good of others. I hope you're seeing that resurrection life isn't only concerned about the spiritual. It's a bodily resurrection that we profess, right? That's what we say we anticipate as a church. And so if we profess a bodily resurrection, then we also believe that bodies matter, that the physical well-being of other people around us, that that matters, that the cares of our world around us also matters. I think it's telling that one of the first things the resurrected Jesus does is he holds a barbecue on the beach for his tired and weary friends. He makes them breakfast. He cares for their needs. If we are truly living as resurrection people, we are keenly interested not only in our own well-being, which is the way of death, but we're actually interested in the well-being of the people and the things that surround us, truly a godly way, which is life. The resurrection of Jesus, friends, is the promise not only that we will be raised, but it's the promise that the world will be restored as well. So the resurrection life that we live naturally has implications on our relationship with all of creation, 
meeting needs, recognizing that all that we have use of is not to maximize our own pleasure or convenience, but is entrusted to our care that a world of generosity and justice might be seen more clearly in the lives that we live, and through us that others might come to believe in that still better world, the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. That those people might join with us in the work of caring for a broken and bleeding world until it is finally and fully healed as our God proclaims life to all peoples and things, reconciling all things to himself. Our work of stewardship is the work of reconciliation. As we steward God's resources, money, time, and power, we reconcile things to God himself. We name that these things are not ours, that they were never ours, and that if they truly belong to God, they should be used for the things he desires, which are abundance, blessing, and peace. This week, I want you to try to live this out. Hopefully beyond this week, but do something this week too. Live this out by foregoing an unnecessary expense and using that money, however small or great it may be, to meet the need of somebody you encounter. Or give it to the church. Give it to Knox camps as they serve children in our neighborhood. Give it to our benevolent fund as we care for people in our community who have needs. Give it to the Knox Youth Dinner and Food Bank as they serve street-involved youth. Maybe you don't have any optional expenses, so live this out by being more generous with your time, by saying yes to a request that normally you wouldn't have even considered, but maybe that God is calling you to invest your time and energy into. Or live this out in simple actions, like bringing your own reusable mug to your coffee shop, by eating a little less meat, by picking up some litter on the roadside. Live out resurrection by believing that the bodies we've been given and that God will raise in Jesus Christ, that they matter. That the world that God will one day make fully into his temple dwelling among us, that that world, it matters. Live out resurrection by believing that everything which we have use of and power in might be an occasion for generosity, for care, we're showing our compassion to a world which God is revealing to become more real by our actions of justice and mercy and love. And do this all for the glory of our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. God, we love money. We love our uninterrupted time with Netflix. We love the things that we get to do because we don't do other things. And we confess this love has made us poor stewards of everything you've given us. Poor stewards of the earth poor brothers and sisters to each other, 
poor neighbors in the world. So we pray that you would have mercy on us and that in your mercy you would draw us into love and that love would overcome selfishness and jealousy and envy and the love of every worldly thing that we've been so formed to shape our lives after in the pursuit of. that the well-being of people we pass by on the street would be more important to us than these lesser things. That the needs of our world would be felt by each of us. And that together we might challenge each other to be better stewards each day. That as a church community, we might have a more keen sense of how you are asking us to use our many gifts for the sake of a world that you love. Amen.